Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the most twosome game dev podcast in the world, House of Games. Today, I'm joined by my other half. Oh, oh, oh no! But we can't make this work unless we invite a third wheel to whatever we're doing, Mr. Antone. But before I let you come Ooh. inside the House of Games, let me grab your knob of the door and enter you the house, I mean, of games. <laughs> Welcome everyone to this week's episode of House of Games. As usual, we have a special guest with us today, and I think, as usual, without further ado, I think I will let him introduce himself, and we'll take the conversation from there. So, Mr. Anton, please go ahead, tell us, who are you and what do you do? Thank you, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to it. Uh, it's my first podcast ever, so it's an honor. <laughs> It's a, it's a big, big deal. We're happy to have you. <laughs> I'm a software engineer in, uh, I guess I should, I should say a systems engineer in Japan. I work for a, in Japanese standard, small company in uh, the province of Gunma, which is also famous for Yakimanju, which no foreigner knows, and probably most famously Subaru, the car brand. And the beautiful ladies, both you and I, are married to good, my girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. So what kind of system engineering do you do? The Western image, I think, of systems engineering in Japan sounds really high-tech and advanced. So I'm, so I'm guessing something really cool. Sounds cooler than it is probably, but uh, a big difference between most IT jobs in Japan and the West is that you don't really need to have much experience to get a job. I didn't actually study computer science or anything in school. I studied linguistics, but I still got a job as a software engineer because I, I like everything IT. I like to build my own computers and overclock them, and I like gaming, and I wanted to learn how to code, basically. And they, they will give me a salary and also teach me how to code. So. We have been touching on that before in this episode. I think I've mentioned it, Odo, that in Japan, they have these positions where you basically get hired and then you start working. And I think that's so cool. Like, it's such a great opportunity for, I mean, anyone, basically. I feel like in Sweden, for example, you can't get a job unless you're extremely educated. And my theory is is because it's so expensive to hire people and the salaries are so high and all the perks you get when you work in Sweden. Now, I don't know what kind of perks you have from work, Anton, but I can imagine this, your work position you have now in Sweden would be maybe twice as much in salary and all these other perks you have in Sweden. But it's just like, what a great system, I think, that anyone can sort of get in and you, sure, your salary is worse and you probably your work conditions and all that, but at least you get to a foot into the, the industry, in this case, in IT engineering. And I think that's worth I, mean, I think that's so good i just wish sweden did that but i think in sweden is just like I, I don't know why they do it but they, they don't do it but so to clarify for those who are unfamiliar i think our guest from the research institute institute of sweden called it the apprentice system meaning that you sort of learn from a master or something like that like you start on the floor and then you can move all all the way up but 
that you don't have to there's not the same threshold that we have in Sweden that you have to come in with a lot of knowledge before starting that's true uh, they don't have like a, a a named apprentice system, so to say. I, I'm a full-time employee from the first day, basically. But uh, the first three months, we, we did a software boot camp or like systems boot camp uh, outside of the company. Sorry, did you guys hear that one? Or <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> heard that. Discreet. I'm, a, I'm alone tonight, so I am uh, in, enjoying uh, a couple of beverages. Nice. Well deserved, I imagine. Sorry, Anton. Please continue. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, but it's not a apprentice system, like named a, an apprentice system, but it's, uh, or called, I should say. But, but it's, in, in effect, it's, yeah, it, it's an apprentice system. <laughs> well, I can imagine that that is uh, a lot like many things in culture that like living in the culture you rarely have specific names for stuff that other people would absolutely react to in the same way that i think a lot of swedish phenomena like like for example the way that rune describes that we really don't talk to anyone here that you can start a, a company through an app like even now when i'm at the the co-working location that i'm recording this from like you can order food, you can get into the office, you can do everything without talking to a single human being once. And But that sort of has no name either, it's just our normal. So I imagine that's maybe the same in Japan, that they don't call it an apprentice system, but from like the Western view perhaps, looking from the outside in is what we would refer to, perhaps. Yeah, I think you're right. Definitely, yeah. So, one thing that I'm imagining, so or I'm curious about, is that in, I think in many, especially in games, I think we've talked about this a couple of episodes ago, that, like, the culture of Japan and, like, to group them in as a whole, but the West is kind of different from each other, and you see that a lot in how the end product of the games are made. So I'm imagining with systems engineering that there also must be some kind of a, a different way of how you think about things and how that affects how you work. So is that something that you've, you have experienced or is there any difference like with Western programmers or like systems engineering in Japan, something that's, you know, we work in a different way or is it very universal? Uh, I have never actually worked as a software engineer abroad. When I say abroad, I mean outside of Japan. <laughs> but uh, I do think that the Japanese way of, of working is more maybe old fashioned. For example, everything has a very strict hi hierarchy. Like you have to get permission to do something all the way from the top, but you can't go directly to the top and ask for permission. You have to go to your closest boss, who then goes to his closest boss, who then goes to <laughs> the next closest boss, and so, and so on. Especially in my case, because I work at a pretty old company. We've been around since, I think, 1999. So, I mean, in IT at least, that's old. 
Yeah, yeah, I would say the same. I mean, the only thing that tops that perhaps is Nintendo, but yeah, in IT, that's I would say also that's very old. Yeah. So they talk about different models for how how software development is produced, and basically, we use the original model, like waterfall model. Everything first you like draw up schematics for the product, and you like half of the work is basically paperwork to make sure everything is decided to the smallest detail pretty much interesting and what kind of uh, yeah uh, did you have a question Rune? <laughs> go ahead no just a snide comment <laughs> no, no but I, I was gonna say my my wife she was just uh, told off last month by her boss that she was talking to her senpai with casual japanese and he did not did not accept that you have to talk to him in Keigo, which is like when you show respect. But what you mentioned, Anton, I also, it made me think about, uh, I think I mentioned it before, but uh, the way SpaceX and NASA, for example, approach their missions to build rockets and stuff like that. The SpaceX approach is just to build a rocket, send it up in space, explode, and then learn from that while NASA is spending years and years and years with paperwork and make sure that when the rocket leaves, it's perfect. That doesn't always mean it's perfect. So it sort of reminded me a little bit of that. I obviously think the SpaceX approach is better. Uh, that's sort of how I run my business, just to do stuff and then see see sort of where it lands instead of uh, sitting around uh, planning everything. Yeah, I think most uh, foreign I mean, non-Japanese software companies, at least, pretty much do your approach, like agile uh, development. And uh, basically, you make the first thing you do is you create a prototype, and then you give it to the customer, and they say, oh, it sucks. You have to change this and this and this. But at least they have a clearer picture from the start, like what you are trying to build. So I think it's kind of the same uh, same approach. But I think Elon Musk used to be mostly, I think, PayPal's founder, right? So, yeah, software company. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he has learned some lessons from there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And what kind of, uh, so do you do programming as your daily task? Or what kind of, uh, in that case, what kind of things do you write? Or what programming languages or tech stack and... And so on. Uh, yeah, so basically the first year, like every year I've been doing different stuff. So the first year was mainly programming in C Sharp. We had, a, I th we still have it, but it's a product for reviewing code, basically. So it's by coders for coders. So we sell it to other Very meta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we sell it to other uh, software companies, basically. And uh, yeah, I worked with uh, like uh, version maintenance. So just when I entered the company, Windows 11 was released. So we had to patch the software so it works with Windows 11. And that was my first year. And then the second year, I started to mix coding and uh, like infrasystems, infra like infrastructure, both hardware and uh, like setting up open source software systems for for companies such as uh, administrative systems or or economy systems and so on yeah yeah cool and 
One thing that I think is sort of interesting with open source, then now that you mentioned that, is that there's now after a couple of years, it seems like open source is so commonly used and stuff, but people don't really like it's sort of this. I don't know if it's the correct term, but dependency hell where you know everyone uses like free stuff and then nobody knows how how anything works and then all of a sudden there's just this one package has this one bug but every like tech company in the world uses it and it allows for remote like code execution and stuff and like nobody's bothered to check it or you know build their own stuff so uh, how do you think about that is that something that's uh, you know I can imagine that's a hassle if you have to manage that yourself. Or is it just, you know, you do it and then hopefully nothing blows up and then you put out fires afterwards? Yeah, we we do put out fires afterwards and we do keep track of, like, the, the biggest vulnerabilities and we try to patch when we have to. We, we got a little bit of a scare during the log4j, like the the Java logging to... Uh, which, yeah, could, permitted uh, bad actors to basically run remote code to any system that used Log4j. But we were lucky because we hadn't really uh, kept up with version <laughs> updates for our Log4j. So we were still using like a 10-year-old version, which didn't have that vulnerability, <laughs> but probably other vulnerabilities, yeah. <laughs> well, I would say the the same. I have a similar story from from my job, where there was a bug in OpenSSL, ah. I think, or something like that, where it allowed for, I think, some sort of denial of service attack. So basically, you can shut down the server that is using like the newest version of OpenSSL or something that was perhaps a year old or something like that. But again, we were using an, a version that was maybe five years old and <laughs> hadn't updated, so we were absolutely in the clear. Nice. What is the purpose of using those old softwares <laughs> uh, instead of just updating as they come, the new ones? You're supposed to update. <laughs> so I would say for from... Yeah, so for, for my... So imagine like this... Like, Rune, you're used to using Unity. I recently up- updated, that's why I'm asking. Uh, and I know there is some hell to pay when you do it. Yeah, exactly. So usually what happens with all software, it's like, you know, everyone who is listening to this has updated their phone OS or maybe their Windows or Mac OS systems and all of a sudden things change and they don't work as before because of... You know, we changed this thing because now it takes less memory or we fixed a bug or something. But the way it worked before, everything that is built on top of that is sort of relying on that thing working in that particular way, regardless if it has a bug or not. And then if you update it, usually you have to put out some fires and just fix the things built around it to work. And... That takes energy away from doing, like, actually writing code or doing things that makes your company money. There's no, like, immediate value to it. But, you know, a couple of years down the lane, if there is a bug in an old version of software that you're using, 
that was fixed maybe five years ago, but you're still using the buggy version, then all of a sudden you can have something like that is a, a vulnerability. But that's uh, it's difficult because there are like those situations where the old software has a bug that is really critical, but you also have these situations where the new software has bugs that you know so <laughs> i don't know maybe the golden ratio is uh, being somewhere in the middle not quite fully updated but not too old maybe i always feel like an, an old grump when i update my stuff because i get so annoyed with the new stuff <laughs> and like the it was better before but i recently updated windows and now it's when i take screenshots it asks me to sort of drag my mouse over the screen, like what part of the screen I want to take a screenshot of. And I got <laughs> so annoyed by this. And I was, went online to find out like how the, how the hell I turned this off. But now I realize like this is the best thing that could have happened. Because what I did before was just take a screenshot, put it in paint and re and crop it there. If it's one of these little pieces. Uh, now I can use like, it's just, I love it now. So yeah, that was a sign. And the same thing with the Unity. The, I just recently updated because I wanted to get some shaders into my project. And I was like, ah. So first I back it up in, in GitHub. Because I know once I update the project, a- anything can happen. And then, of course, a lot of things broke. Uh, so the last week I've been working on fixing those things. But now everything just seems to run much better, I think. And I also feel like I'm future-proofing myself because this is a quite ambitious and big game. Uh, it's a mini open world, but it's still quite big in terms of what, what's in it. So I can imagine I'm going to work on it for at least another year. And then I will. I feel quite safe that the, the version I'm running now in Unity will be enough to port the game to Switch 2, for example, when that comes out, PlayStation 5, Pro, whatever. So there is a benefit of updating stuff, like bite the bullet and, and do it now and then... Uh, down the road it's probably going to be because the one the unit version i was running before i updated last week was 2019 so you know that's four years old maybe it would be fine but uh, i i'm happy i did it but i do understand that it, it is uh, it's annoying to update but i just feel like uh like a big company they should have a little bit more foresight like look into the future a little bit more instead of just holding on to a 10 year old software yeah, yeah. And I, I really like the approach that the developers of the programming language Rust has to this. So I think I've run across this sort of topic when researching a company in that we hopefully in the future can have as guests on this podcast. But they're building a, a game engine in the language Rust, which is... It's uh, I I can't program in it myself, but uh, someday I hope to. But the perks of it is that it's really memory efficient. So, like, it's really strict with how you program stuff, and you can't do empty variables, and you can't do a lot of stuff that would just make it waste memory. And therefore, programs written in Rust is really fast and efficient and bug-free. They say so. But another thing that I think is really interesting is that I've heard that the developers of that programming language have sort of a relentless strategy of doing backwards compatibility for their programming language. So an application that you write today in that language is supposed to work 
exactly the way it's working now, like in a hundred years, even with all of the updates to the language, because they make sure that when they update stuff, they don't break stuff wow. that worked previously. So even if it worked less efficiently in the past, it's still gonna work in the future. So that's something that would be really cool for game development if you could do, for example, a if the engine then would have the same principle that they would have backwards compatibility with previous things. So even if you updated stuff, like say that you make your game now and then in three years you want to release it, but then you think that, oh, well, why don't we just upgrade to the latest latest engine so it's going to be more efficient or have more features and stuff, and maybe we can add some stuff. And then it's just going to work like that. No, Nothing to take care of. It's just going to work. And then if you want to optimize it for the current thing, you can do that. But it's not going to break, break things like it does now, for example. I think I don't know much about Rust, but it sort of sounds like this a very conservative system once in series and stuff and what you said there uh, like I, I got this image in my head that it's almost like a, a dna tree sort of how like a lot of us can check our dna and see where we're from a lot of us are like from Genghis khan or whatever uh, who used killed and raped and fucked around in the past <laughs> so so it's it's kind of sound like that like you have that so a so hundred years from now, like you said, you could sort of see all these strings going back in time to 2023, how it worked back then. So it kind of sounds like a DNA tree, which is quite cool. And I also think that it's sort of like, um, talked about it in a uh, previous episodes about uh, uh, how we've, like, we don't know how the pyramids were built. And I, my prediction in that episode was that we don't, we, one day we won't know how programming works because we are simplifying these languages, the programming languages uh, with each uh, software iteration and so on. So one day it, programming will be used, like you just type it out, but no one actually, no one will actually know that it's all built on ones and zeros. But what you just said about Rust, it sort of sound like a, like a portal to the past, which is pretty cool. I'm not sure where I'm going that, but I just thought that was pretty cool. Like, it sounds like you're preserving the past and you would always be able to go back and see how things worked back then. So that's, that's cool. So Anton, in, in your work, so the company that you work for, or like in the work that you do, backwards compatibility, do you have any thoughts there? And also, as a follow-up question, do you have any favorite programming language and why? Backwards compatibility is, of course, important, but we usually draw the line somewhere uh, for, for the software we provide. It's usually like two or three versions, major versions of OSs before. So right now we allow uh, Windows 11, 10, and 8.1, I think it is, for the systems we provide mostly, uh, but we're going to phase out 8.1 in a bit because it's it just takes too much time to test everything once you uh, change something in the code and set up a new virtual machine for each, each uh, operative system. Like it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a pain in the ass and it's hard to find the, the license keys for 8.1 so you can actually t test it the right way. But then uh, favorite 
programming language. I, I don't really have any language that I'm really good at, but from the languages I've tried, uh, I like Python, even though it's not very resource uh, efficient. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, it feels like using human language to talk to the computer, I think. And, uh, and I've also started to dabble a bit in Raspberry Pi and building like electronics and programming with MicroPython, which is like a light version of Python for for microcomputers. So yeah, Python is my favorite probably. So I think that's actually on some some nerd can correct me on this, but I think that's so Python is on the other like spectrum of Rust. So Rust is very like you have to be ultra specific with what you want to do to avoid the wasting memory and stuff like that. And Python on the other hand is as you say, more like natural language. And then, for example, I think you don't specify what type a variable is, for example, and then the Python compiler or whatever it is, or runtime, sort of figures that out for you. Yeah, you, you can do it that way, but usually it's recommended to specify, I think. But but yeah, usually it, it can predict, that's true. Exactly. So then, like, the the dichotomy there is that either you are ultra-specific and then the computer doesn't have to waste, like, time fixing things or making sure it runs for you. Or you could, you know, it's easier for the human brain or easier for the computer brain, basically. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, we have so po- such powerful computers today, so... Why not leverage them? <laughs> it's like my my point of view. Like memory rarely runs runs out on, on a like a gaming computer or a or a high end uh, yeah, production desktop. However, I would say that it's sort of a something like I think with technological development, which is like the same as I've pondered about with device batteries. So, for example, cell phone batteries are getting better and better but as a user you don't really see it it feels like you know you could barely do a a full day with a smartphone and because of that you know there's just uh, it feels like it's going nowhere but they are actually getting better but like the downside that is or downside is that when they are getting better then people who develop smartphones make sure to make them more powerful so you can use more stuff and more features and stuff but then you can't use better power and i think that's the same with like memory and stuff with programming languages that yes they like our computer are getting faster but then we are getting less efficient at doing stuff so then we're we're always going to have like this for example, with games that a lot of them are not very optimized, I would say. Like, there's a lot of games. Like, one game that I had is Arma 3. I played, I don't know if it's changed now because it's been a couple of years since I played it, but I played that like on my brand new gaming computer, which at the time was really expensive and it had a great hardware. And I. You know, I could max the settings on almost any game. And I tried to do that with Arma 3, and it lagged like hell. Like, 
it's you know I I had to do like the almost like the bottom part of medium to make it not lag and I think that's not necessarily that the graphics were like that good or it was such an advanced but it's just really unoptimized yeah so I would like sort of uh, sort of uh, make a case that yes we are having more and more like efficient or computers that can do more stuff but we should still try to be more optimized with the, with stuff if it's possible but if you use rust then and then uh, wouldn't that be the same thing there like well now i'm using rust and it's super optimized to code and now i can just squeeze in more stuff to my game yeah but i think like the reason that rust is really efficient they say is that you can't do a lot of like you can't do unoptimized code basically like you can't do infinite loops or you can't do empty variables or you can't do things that lead nowhere or like you forget about like this function that isn't used you can't do that you have to use everything that's in there and also it's compiled so there's two types of programming languages, which is the one, one uh, kind is interpreted, I think it's called, which is something like Python. So after you write your code, you can just click run and it, it runs instantly. And that is, you know, it could be acceptable, but it is slower that, than what's called compiled. So with compiled language, uh, what happens instead is that the computer just looks at the code and then breaks it down into binary, basically, and then optimizes your code as it does that. So for the CPU to just read ones and zeros goes a lot faster than having to convert all of the like all of the text into assembly code and then ones and zeros and then run it. So then like having it compiled then makes it run a lot faster. So for example, C-sharp is a compiled language and Unity uses that and C-sharp, I think, is also a... No, yes, it's C-sharp and C++ that Unreal uses is also a compiled language. So, and I imagine that they use those respective languages because they are compiled and therefore faster. So if you want to do things like multiplayer, for example, not only do you have to have a you know software that is running fast but you also have to do it in sync with other computers with other hardware and then it it can't be inefficient so to speak what was the question again uh, <laughs> i'm just rambling i'm sorry yeah you sort of answered the question so uh, the question i suppose <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then you know again with rust they say that there's uh a really higher learning curve for it. So, yeah. So it's uh, a lot more... Like, I've heard, you know, not having learned the language, so this might be bullshit, but I've heard it. there's something like lifetimes for variables. Like, you have to define how long a variable lives. So it, like, auto is removed from 
memory automatically after some set period. So, and that way, like everything that's not used is like thrown away and freed up, so to speak. So, and. But how does that work with the backward compatibility stuff? Yeah, well, I think you, they've had that feature since day one. But again, I, I can't write the language yet. So at some point, I might just come back and be being able to write it and maybe do a small game in this game engine that we might be able to discuss with the developers of and then comment on why it's better or worse or or whatever it might be. But it's uh, an interesting thing to, to think about that it might be, you know making really efficient games that are also backwards compatibility and compatible and perhaps forwards compatible as well. Anton, last time we met live, we talked a bit about AI. And uh, I'm curious, uh, you are quite optimistic about it, but how do you think it's going to affect your work? Do you think the... Do you do you have a plan B, or do you think you, you you can work here forever? Or yeah, I can imagine. You know, like quality control of code feels like something that AI could replace. So I'm really interested to hear that as well. Yeah, the 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 review tool we provide to other coding companies is actually not that big of a product of ours. So. Uh, I'm actually not involved at all at the moment, even though it's my department that's uh, in charge of it, so to say. But I already actually use AI daily when I work, so I hope I can continue to use it and uh, not be used by it <laughs> and thrown away, so to <laughs> say. But I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I think uh, almost every great invention so far people have been saying it's the end of the world or like atomic energy, for example, or uh, even like ice machines. There used to be a lot of people who sold ice back in the day, quite back in the day. So when the freezer was introduced, <laughs> they were revolting pretty much because uh, what, what are we going to do when we can't harvest and sell ice anymore? But we figure it out. So if I can't, uh, be a programmer anymore that's okay with me just as long as i can i don't know implement systems for someone or or yeah make something interesting i don't necessarily have to write code that's not my favorite thing in the world i feel like there's you know talking about all these automations and things that used to be worse i think there's probably a fun game you could do with all sorts of like weird jobs that we used to have before automation. So, for example, you know, there used to be, at least in Great Britain, I think, mm. instead of an, an alarm clock, when you didn't have an alarm clock, there would instead be like this guy, like this one guy in town that would just go around to all of the houses and just wake them up and... You know, he had a, like a long stick to tap the upstairs window uh, so people would wake up at a certain time and then they would pay him for that instead of having a, an alarm clock now, for example. Like there's a lot of like in horse and buggy and 
elevator operators and all kinds of weird stuff that were better off for not having them still, I think. I wonder who woke him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe had the rooster, I guess. Yeah, the OG alarm clock. Well, who woke the rooster up? <laughs> they also used to have the fabulous work for like 12-year-old boys who crawled through coal mines because they were so narrow. And then they like, yeah, they switched them out for carts, basically. <laughs> so there's a lot of jobs that have gone missing. But... Exactly. It reminds me of uh, Snowpiercer, if you've seen that movie. Hey, well, the series, right? It's weird about that franchise. So the first there was this movie with the guy who plays Captain America, whatever his name is, and then they made a series out of it, which is, they're sort of similar, but kind of different. So at least in the movie, they have, like, for the same reason, they have, like, small children as the mechanics, because the, like, the engine space and stuff is so small, so they have, like, small children have to climb in there and fix stuff if anything breaks. Breaks. Mm. But I think here in Japan, you know, if you go to a fancy mall, you go into the elevator, there's like a staff asking you, what floor? And then you tell them, fourth floor, please. And then she pressed the button for you or he, whatever. But uh, my my point, though, with AI taking all these jobs is that I, I just don't think it's, uh, it needs, it has to be replaced. I, I feel like we're going in a direction where we're just going to have some sort of, uh, uh, what is it called, base income, and, and the argument is that we will spend time doing art and stuff like that. I, I, I highly doubt that anyone will do that. I think we will have a uh, 80% of the world's population sitting watching Netflix and on wasting their time on their phones and not communicating with people and slowly becoming depressed and just jump off a cliff. That are they? I have a <laughs> counter argument to that, actually. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> As I usually do, but okay, so here is my argument. So when you automate stuff, stuff gets cheaper to produce. So say, for example, that you want to want avocados in like the north of Sweden. Like in the past to do that, that would be either insanely expensive or impossible. But, you know, as you get more efficient airplanes or like cargo ships or whatever it is, like... To buy avocados is uh, really cheap, like anyone could afford it. And, you know, I think the macro effect of that is eventually stuff gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It takes less hours of work to afford what in the past costed more. And all of that money that is saved, I imagine that people who make those savings want to spend it somewhere anyhow. You know, people are not going to stop spending, I think. So therefore, people are going to just invent stuff where you can spend your money because people want to spend their money. So imagine, like, for example, we have a, like a whole... Imagine like in you went back to the 1800s and you say, well... What is your work? Well, I wear, make like weird noises to a microphone and people pay me for that. But now in the present day, you have like this whole host of people who are ASMR people who just make like weird noises and like chew and do gross stuff in front of a mic. And then people pay them willfully without having like 
you know, they, they seek out these ASMR people and then pay them to do this stuff. And, you know, there's nothing being, like, produced there. But because everything is cheaper, so you have more money left over, people still want to spend it somewhere. And where it goes is just people invent new stuff to spend on. And I think that's going to be... Maybe, here's a, a hypothesis. If you're listening to this in 200 years, please fact check me. But I imagine like this. Imagine, like, you have... Things are getting cheaper and cheaper, and then you get more money over. But then we get back some of these old jobs that really doesn't produce stuff, but people think it's entertaining, like an elevator operator in a mall, for example, because people think it's funny and or entertaining or luxurious. So therefore, they go to that mall, even though you could have just a button or an app or whatever. Well, my prediction is that we are moving away from materialism and wanting stuff. Maybe it's because there's something I felt myself sitting in this little, little tiny shitty house I'm living in now. And I told my wife, like, man, I feel just so happy. Like, this house can fit in our living room in Sweden. And we, it is just absolute third world country house. But... (laughs) I'm happier here than we were back in Sweden, where we had a, a fancy apartment. We had a we had an oven there. We had a dishwasher. We had a laundry machine in the apartment. And we do have a laundry machine, but it's outside, outside the house, in the behind the <laughs> house, and there's a little roof thing above it. We have no dishwasher, no oven. Our shower is like uh, it's like showering outside. I have, I'm, uh, I'm a bit nervous for the winter when when that arrives, but. Man, <laughs> this is awesome. And uh, so I had this sort of realization that, man, I, I wouldn't, I, I just can't imagine going back to the mindset I had when I was younger, when I wanted stuff. I wanted a big TV. I wanted a new car. I wanted a uh, motorbike. I do I do want a motorbike now. I'm actually <laughs> starting to take the license, but that's, a, it's, yeah, I feel like that's different. Anyway. That doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> but it's like, I, I do wonder if... Uh, I have a suspicion that we just want less in the future. But I also think that everything will basically be for free to the point where it's kind of like, imagine you can get anything you want. I, I think Elon Musk, we, talk, we mentioned him before, I believe he lives in a tiny little house near the rocket factory. Like he could basically buy a whole a whole country and just do whatever, but it just doesn't interest him. I think that when you become so rich and you can buy the whole world, it's just like you need to find a different purpose in life because having all these things is just not interesting to really rich people. I think millionaires, like if you have $1 million or whatever, I think that's the sort of greedy zone where people want more and more and more. Because it's not really super rich, but it's still not poor. It's just like that in between. Oh, if I had two minutes, I could buy this. this, this. I think there's like a, it depends how much money you have. You have a certain mindset. But when you become super rich, you just don't care anymore. And when you find this, what I feel like I've found is sort of, and I don't know what it is. I just no longer care about materialistic stuff. So there's like two places you can end up there and then the one in the middle when you become quite greedy but i think uh, in the future we will have access to everything we want basically for free and i think it's just gonna 
turn into depression because they're what's the point of living and i think this is when matrix will open its gates and you will uh, be asked like do you want to live this life where you can just walk around and get whatever you want you want a ferrari today you can go and get one and, and you can have a helicopter tomorrow yada 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 or do you want to live in this fantasy world where you have to fucking work for the stuff you want and i think people will choose to go into that matrix instead where there's like a quest a purpose you have to work for the stuff you want i, I just think it's i think we can't escape biology and uh, evolution and all that stuff i sort of look at the animals and i they act in a certain way because that's just the way it is humans are animals in the end of the day but we do we're just a bit smarter but i, I think uh, a lot of the things we do it, it it harkens back to the fact that we are animals and we want things in a certain way and i think you know, history repeats itself, but it doesn't rhyme. I think we we'll sort of come back to that at some point where we want to have a daily challenge. We want to to feel that feeling when you get up 5 a.m. Like, oh, I fucking want to die. But then when you actually get up and go to work, you're like, you know what? This was worth it. I'm feeling better now. Uh, so so I, th I think it's going to peak at some point and then we want to come back to this old way of doing things. But at that point, we will already have access to the matrix where we can do all this stuff but you can pick your universe. Do you want to be a spacefaring explorer or do you want to be a knight with a sword and shield and so on? That's my theory. So if you hear, listen to this in 200 years, let me know. <laughs> Come and dig up my grave and tell me. Yeah, I have a rebuttal to that, but uh, Anton, do you wanna, what's your opinion on all this? Usually the people who talk about like AI and it's the end of work and it's people like us, people who work in the tech sector, uh, who, do, who do programming. Like, pretty much all manual labor is still not automated. There's still no AI for making hamburgers, for example. It's cheaper to just employ a human. And uh, that's probably because of, like, material costs and such. But I think uh, more so than, than the kind of technology we are uh, involved in, it's a matter of, like... Uh, like f physical technology, like like material science, there's a limit. Things cost money to make. So if you want to make a machine that that flips burgers, you have to use a certain amount of natural resources to make it. And in the end, it will almost always be cheaper to employ a human being. So I think for a lot of the simpler work, I don't think it will disappear because of AI. I think probably we will be working at Mac McDonald's, but maybe <laughs> in the future, <laughs> like that, that's a possible outcome. Yeah. I think I uh, mentioned before that my, uh, my friend, he went to Jon Bauer, which is a computer school in Sweden. And I went to a plumber school for the stupid kids. And now I went into <laughs> AI, uh, I mean to tech and he just went to plumbing. And, uh, I remember, really? yeah, yeah, uh, he is fully edited. This is maybe five years ago, so he must have been working as a full-time plumber, like a 100% salary plumber for the last three years. Cool. Uh, and I was remembering, uh, I was thinking back then, what an idiot. Like, why the fuck would you go to plumbing? That's going to be replaced by AI. <laughs> and then now I'm sitting here like, ah, uh, <laughs> God damn it. But I, if we were to go back to Sweden, I, I told my wife, like, I reckon I would like to go back, not to plumbing, but to carpeting at least, because I do love building stuff. 
building houses. That's something I would like to do here in Japan too. Like uh, these kind of homes that I'm living in now, this really old and ugly and just, yeah, shit homes. I, I would love to buy these small homes and like give a little bit of Swedish touch to them yet keep the Japanese cultural stuff and sort of mix these two things. Uh, I have so many ideas. Just for the house we're living in now, I would love to renovate this one. And and, and we, know, we know the owners of this house. And she said, you can do whatever you want with it. But then we said, well, we might go back to Sweden. So she said, ah, well, then just leave it the way it is because yeah, someone else uh, might want to rent it in this type of condition. Which I can't imagine that anyone would, because it looks like shit here. But it's uh, it has so much potential, <laughs> and this is something I would like to do uh, in the future, maybe <laughs> to buy these old Japanese homes and renovate them and make them look sort of modern and neat. But I think something that you touch on, Anton, that I think about when it comes to automation is that you can think of it, or at least this is my perspective, that information is free, but doing things in the physical world is not free. So, for example, in McDonald's, you have people who... Or, like, the act of ordering has been, at least in Sweden, very automized So or automated. So, like, ordering, usually now... Like, you used to stand in line at the cashier, and then you wait for your turn, and then you can tell the your order to the cashier then they ask a lot of follow-up questions and then eventually you pay and then you get your order and then you have to stand in line to wait for your food to be ready and then make sure it's your number and then you take your food and then you can eat but now the process is rather that i go and sit down at the table that i want order at my phone and then they come with the food to my table well, they don't even do that nowadays, you fucking Swedes. You have to go up to the counter and take your own food. Oh. <laughs> no, in Sweden at least, you can just uh, like write down your table number and then they will come there. So, but like the thing I, why I took up this or mentioned this like example specifically is because, as you said, like, not all jobs will be automated. So in this case, like, what has been automated at McDonald's, it's not flipping burgers because those are jobs are still there and cleaning and stuff, those people are still there. So they employ about the same number of people. But what has been automated is information. Like, what what is the things that is happening from me entering to me eating it's exchange of information like i tell them what i need to what i want to eat and i give them the money and stuff and that's sort of the information stuff so i i think i agree that like that's the reason why during the corona pandemic it's like people panicked about toilet paper for some reason, <laughs> but they usually make those locally in each town because they're so lightweight, so it would be too expensive to ship them. So it's more like cost-effective to just build a factory in this town that you're going to sell it instead. So therefore, you don't have to worry about that uh, if it happens again. And it's something similar, I think. 
to take these burgers, for example, I know that's just an example, but there are already <laughs> robots that can do it. Like in America, they have some burger joints that it's basically just robots. And but there's still some people working there, maybe filling up the burgers for the robots. So you could probably see, and I, I even think I've read that sort of McDonald's is sort of threatening to, <laughs> like, well, we could if we wanted to just replace all these people with robots because they have the money and the know-how and these robots can just make the burgers for you. Now imagine when that happens, then there's absolutely zero human interaction. And this is my sort of my, the thing I worry about the most is not necessarily that we lose our jobs, it's this human interactions. I told Ayana the other day, like, man, like in one like afternoon in Japan, you have more human interactions with strangers than you have in a whole month in Sweden. Like, even when you call the doctors in Sweden, I know what you're going to say, or I'm going to fucking say it before you get there. <laughs> when you call a doctor, they will say something like, if you don't like to talk to a doctor because you are like, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, hu uh, homophobic? No. Uh, when you don't like, uh, for Krug, what, what is that? Like you're, oh, what is that in English? Like, you don't like crowds, I guess. You don't yeah. like people. You isolate yourself. Yeah, so if you're that kind of person, you can chat with us instead. They don't say it like that, but that's the, the whole point, that you shouldn't have to talk to human beings. So you can just chat with them instead in a chat. And as someone who's been working with mentally sick people, the last thing you want to do is to make life easier for someone who don't want to talk to people, because then it will never be better. You need to sort of push my job was not to help anyone it was to to support and push people to do the things they don't want to do because when you do that enough it's going to be easier it's gonna this person will feel uh, less anxious or less uh, scared of doing the things this person is scared of like so so in sweden i feel like i don't know if that's what was you where you taking this order but my whole point is that in sweden i feel like <laughs> you're taking all these human, this, the small human interactions that are so fucking important for us from a biological point of view, because we are like a group animal. We want to be in a group. We want to socialize. No matter what you say and what you think, like, no, I don't need that. You do need it. You fucking need it. At least 99% of us need to interact with other human beings, period. And in Sweden, I feel like you're taking that away from people. And I, I, that really worries me. When you go down that rabbit hole, it's just gonna be like it's fucking weird people are just gonna become weird they would have no idea how to talk to people how to interact how to to read the room it's just gonna be a bunch of weirdos sweden is gonna turn into a country with 10 million weirdos in 20 years <laughs> there you have it well i was just gonna say that you know growing up we had a saying that you know, you always heard in Sweden, at least growing up, that you know, if you read a, like a like a newspaper, you will get more information than you would get in your whole life during the Bronze Age. It's something that we heard growing up, and I just uh, thought that you know, in the future, they're gonna say, well, you know, in the in the past, you get more interaction in a single day than we get in a whole lifetime, <laughs> basically. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, true. So it's going to be that way around. No, but I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think that social interaction is absolutely important. But I think also the reason why this is happening in Sweden is that even before 
this happened, we had a culture where you don't necessarily talk to strangers that much. I mean, I remember growing up, like, if you would just, you know, I went to vacation on uh, to Disneyland in France, and there it was, we thought it was so funny that you could just walk up to a stranger and say bonjour, you know, uh, hello to someone. And that was not strange. He just said, hey, hi back. And that was, you know, so we already have this culture. So I think that Sweden is sort of a perfect storm for making us unsociable when, like, the opportunity arises. But uh, just one thing that I'm really curious to see So if the same thing would happen in a country where it's very common to strike up conversations, because I know some cultures, they, you know, you could like ask like, oh, how many children do you have? Are you married? Why do you do that? Blah, blah, blah. Two strangers, complete strangers. So I am curious what would happen to them if the same thing happened there. Is it going to be completely different that it's not going to change social direction or are they going to become more Swedish, so to speak? I think, uh, Anton, you might agree with me that the Japanese and Swedes are quite similar in that aspect. aspect. But I wanted to uh, fight back a little bit on that, Odo. In in my village, where I'm from, everyone talked to everyone. It's just the way it is. When I moved to Ume when I was 16, because my village was so far from the city, I had to move into the city and live in my own apartment. I would say hi to everyone on the streets. And my bro- at that point, my brother had already lived in, in this apartment. Like, we lived in the same house, but had two different apartments. We got lucky. Anyway, we would go, uh, like, go and buy a kebab or whatever. And then I would just say hi to everyone on the street. And he got angry, like, you don't fucking say hi to everyone. So I, I do think that's a city <laughs> thing, though, because in the countryside, I, I reckon no matter where you go, even here in Japan, when I bicycle from Tokyo to Osaka, I stopped in these small towns and you, you will see these old people pop up out of nowhere and you just come up and talk to me. So I do think that's something about the, the city the city lifestyle, because even in Sweden, in the countryside to this day, I reckon you will still talk to strangers or if there's a, a stranger in the village or whatever, people will come up and uh, ask him where he's from or whatever. But yeah, I I, I agree. Otherwise, uh, it's uh, we don't. It might be a perfect storm, but that sort of goes back to what I said about working with uh, mentally sick people. Like you don't want to encourage that behavior. You want to do the complete opposite. So let's say it is a perfect storm that we're turning a, a nation of ten million people people into a nation with 10 million weirdos we would want to, to take it the other direction <laughs> to encourage people to talk to each other to encourage people to interact with each other because, because i used to um, i i used to think in it's in our dna that it's not gonna turn out well if, if we just stop talking to each other and i think the the pandemic if anything have have uh, sort of uh, proven that in a lot of nations i wonder though if it's really about being nice to people, like uh, not forcing them to talk if they don't want to, or if it's actually about just there's not enough people to answer everyone's calls. So they created a chat because one person can handle several customers, so to say. I think it's probably more that because my mother works in the in the healthcare system and they're terribly understaffed. So yeah, one person can handle probably 10 chats, but just one phone call or so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's also 
I think this is something Rune disagrees with me on, but something that I think is really a good thing that you can automate a lot of the like boring stuff or stuff that gets in the way. So if you can like solve like a lot of the like understaffed people in the healthcare industry, like by doing all of the like maintenance and administrative stuff like automatically and then you can do have more time over to do like the things you are talking about Rune, like meeting actual people and helping actual people would be amazing i think and you know technology is the way to to do that i guess i'm really interested to see like the future where we're going i had a, a some comeback there but uh yeah, you said uh, <laughs> we're understaffed and then you can chat with 10 people instead of talking to one at a time. Like, to to me, that still sounds like we're just hire more people then. But then we can't do that because that, that costs money. And who's going to pay for that? And then we have all these insane salaries and all the fucking purse and all that stuff. So it, it's just this constant. It's kind of like, ooh, this is like it turns into a matrix theory. Like you talked about the coding and uh, you, you make the batteries better and then you just add more p- stuff to it. So it still even itself out. So in this case, like you, you raise people's uh, standard of living and then you can't afford them. So then you have to, I uh, know, I, I can't remember what I thought about there. But anyway, it's uh, the problem would still be that hire more people. So when I call any place, because here in Japan it works, you call whatever you want and they answer within a couple of minutes. In Sweden, you're in 45 minutes, an hour sometimes. Most of the time they say, we can call you back later. And then two hours later, you get a, a phone call from the doctor or whatever it is. Here it's like you call, they pick it up within a couple of minutes and then you're talking to someone. So hire people. But in Sweden, you replace them with apps to save money and that, and then we become mentally depressed. I think it's though it's it's not a they they don't want to save money so much as nobody wants to work those positions. I think that's the main problem. Like it, it's bad pay, it's boring, and especially hospitals. Like it's hard work. Nobody wants to do it because the pay sucks. You have to go to school. You can't just go go straight after high school and and start working at a hospital. You have to actually go to like university and then still have a shit pay. So <laughs> that's why nobody wants to do it. Like in that case, it's more a, more of a using software to fill the gaps, I think more so than to save money. But that still goes back to my point is that then you just make the person more privileged. Like no one want to take this shit job. Who's going to do them then? Well, no one, no one want to do it. And then all people's privilegedness just st- go level up. And then one day, no one want to do the job where you fucking pull out someone's heart and replace it because that's a shit job. So you just like keep on, hi- the, the bar is keep on going higher and higher on what people want to do and not want to do. And you, I mean, in Sweden, it's unbelievable the, the stuff people don't want to do. You guys are so spoiled. It's just like, <laughs> I think that's a cultural and like a, a mindset you learn from, I don't know, school, your parents. I don't know where it comes from, but it's, it's just unbelievable at this point in Sweden. The, the jobs you don't want to do, and then it be replaced by robots. And I, and that's just going to make the 
the the next jobs that people are fine doing today, but in ten years it's like no, I'm I'm way above this. And then uh, at what point is it gonna stop? Like I, again, I think it's we're taking it the wrong direction. Maybe we should try to turn it back and sort of like learn to take some pride in what we're doing and 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 just deal with it. And it's, yeah, but. There's something I think to be learned from Japanese culture there because I've heard and possibly someone can fact check me on this but I've heard that in Japan like the cultural view is not what it is in the west where you have like good jobs and bad jobs but rather that like every job is like deemed like necessary for society to work and therefore like everyone is expected to be perfect at a job it doesn't matter if they're doing plumbing or like sweeping the streets or like being a police officer or a teacher or whatever it is you're expected to excel at your job whatever it is and i think that's a such a beautiful idea you see it every day like it's so wonderful to go to the mall and see like a a man the same age as me cleaning the the floors in sweden you would never fucking see that in sweden it's a foreigner because the swedes are way above that kind of shit so it's just some some foreigner who's doing it (laughs) and i'm not talking shit about it it's just the way it is because swedes redeem themselves above that i suppose or in america it's the same thing like you will never see an american walking around like doing a shit job it's some some mexican fella and but here in japan it's just like it's just like anyone it's wonderful it really is beautiful yeah and i think that sort of like sense of pride i imagine that they have like even if you are sweeping the floor at the mall but you still have pride in like look i made sure that this floor is like super clean and everyone coming in here is going to have a great feeling thanks to me and I'm doing a great job for it, people are thankful, and so on. And having something like that, I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I really, really wish that like more of the world could adapt that same mentality, because I think you know that's the way it should be, absolutely. But here's the challenge, Oda. Now you have to tie that back into AI, because that's how, <laughs> how we ended up here. Yeah, well, to tie it back, I would say that I think, like... To be able to sort of make the Westerners be more proud of doing the little things as well. Because as I said, what you can automate is information, but not as it's not as easy to do with physical things. Like, for example, sweeping the floor or whatever it might be. So if you have AI take care of the things that Westerners really don't like, then maybe you have more resources over to for them to do things they they can feel proud of and maybe they will like the the amount of money you save on like boring stuff maybe you can use that to make people feel proud about important things that they do so say for example if you would save like all of the administrative costs on of a whole hospital to like a tenth of what it is or maybe a 1%, and then you could just take that same money and just put it into the salaries of people doing the real things, like nurses and doctors and stuff. I would love if people did that. So maybe... Or hire more people so it 
every person gets less burden. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's. Uh... I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Mm. As long as you know there's uh, enough people to do the work and they get a uh, good salary, I think, because it's there's also a danger there with hiring too many people that you know we need like three thousand people to do this job. So one way to think about it is that you hire the three thousand people and then you give them like a modest pay. Or, and you know, and you have like uh, okay work conditions so people come in and go uh, all the time. But instead, you could have like maybe 2,000 people working there, but every single one of them earns like a really good living and they are really proud of their, of their work. They're gonna work there for like at least 10 years because they're loyal and love where they're working and they wouldn't wanna be at any other place. So I think that that's also a way to think about it, that it's not just the amount of people, but also the quality of the people working there. So if you have like 2,000 people who love what they're doing, I think that's going to be a lot more effective than 3,000 people who think it's an okay job, but they would switch instantly if they found something better. Nice comeback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, I love uh, having these conversations. It's, uh, you know, you can talk for hours about it. Well, uh, I appreciate that. I long wanted to have a little bit of rant episode. Uh, I feel like I I got to ventilate a little bit here. I have much more to rant about, but... (laughs) (laughs) Anton, do you have any any last words? We're closing in on one hour here. Yeah, uh... No, I just want to say thank you for having me. And uh, I guess maybe I should apologize to the listeners for not touching at all uh, upon games. <laughs> <laughs> I like gaming too. So maybe next time we can talk about our favorite games or something. I don't know. Or perhaps we have yet to do something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That is true. Yeah, it, you know, this show is sort of, it's, it is House of Games, but we do always like derail into AI and stuff or something about that, that is just has nothing to do with even technology. <laughs> so, you know, I think those uh, listeners who are still with us are, uh, are used to it. So we're just really thank you, thankful to have you here. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, before we close the episode, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to promote or where can people follow you or anything like that? Any calls you want to promote? I don't know. Save the rainforest, save the whales or something. I wish I had something, but n- not really. Uh, I don't really use social media that much, but... Uh, nice. Yeah, I think maybe, yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> spend too much time on social media. Spend more time with your loved ones. Yes. Stop listening to podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Except for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it, basically. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be in this podcast. I would love to have you back. I think maybe me and Rune sort of uh, took over this episode too much and babbled about uh, AI. So I would love to hear more from you and uh, maybe next time we could talk about uh, for example games or something like that so it would be great to have you back awesome thank you 
Perfect. And uh, thank you, Rune, again for being my co-host, as always. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week with uh, something more game-related, perhaps. <laughs> so uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.